HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hot Dish Productions, an award-winning modern culinary production company. Learn more at hotdishproductions.com. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Hope everyone's doing safe, checking in with themselves, with loved ones, taking the space you need, and just, you know, it's pretty nuts out there. So please take a moment for your mental health and well-being. If you need resources, please head to heritageradionetwork.org. We were so excited to sit down with one of the coolest bookstores in America, Print, a bookstore out of Portland, Maine. They invited us to sit down and chat about our own book, Snacky Tunes, Music is the Main Ingredient. And we sat down with Prince Josh Christie and also author Brianna Volk. And we had a great conversation about some stories from the book, some of the inspirations of what went into it. We shared some of our favorite recipes, our favorite music, and it was just a great, great, great conversation. Uh, so we are sharing it now in its entirety on Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Alrighty, thank you everyone for virtually attending tonight. Um, I have a short introduction just while everyone files in and then we'll get started. I'm Gracie, I'm the events coordinator for PRINT. Uh, a few housekeeping details. If you have any questions, please feel free to enter them in the chat box, which is on the bottom right, um, or in the question and answer function on the bottom bar of your screen. If you'd like a copy of tonight's book, I can include the link to the print page in the chat box. You can click right on through. And now for tonight's speakers. Uh, a lifelong Mainer, Josh Christie has been an independent bookseller for over 16 years. In addition to being a partner at Print a Bookstore, Josh is a freelance writer and has written four books on beer and the Maine outdoors. Brianna Volk is a writer and restaurateur. She has written two cookbooks, Northern Hospitality and Wonder Woman, the official cookbook. Her restaurant, the Portland Hunt and Alpine Club, is a multi-James Beard Foundation semifinalist for Outstanding Bar Program and was named by Thrillist as one of the best cocktail bars in America. Brianna is currently working on her newest cookbook, Northern Daughter, and a new restaurant called Verna's All Day, set to open in Waterville, Maine. Since 2001, Darren Bresnitz has worked in culinary media, focusing on the people in the industry, their stories, and the incredible food and drinks they provide. He has developed and directed numerous cooking shows, like IFC's Dinner with the Band. In 2014, he created the concept for Refinery29's 29 rooms and in 2016 he joined tastemade where he currently works as the director of original series creating series like cooking with pride and in the shadow of since 2009 he has co-hosted and co-produced heritage radio network snacky tunes with his twin brother greg and their best friend kwong raised from an early age of listening to the radio from the backseat on family road trips greg bresnitz stepped into first his first on-air booth at the age of 19 after producing IFC's award-winning cooking and music series, Dinner at the Band, Greg began a career in hospitality. Working for international brands such as Ace Hotel and Selena, Greg built award-winning cultural programs, has launched performance venues, as well as led growth development and property conceptualization. On the podcast, Snacky Tunes, he and Greg have interviewed over a thousand chefs, restaurateurs, bartenders, musicians, artists, and other culinary cohorts. So please join me in virtually welcoming tonight's panel. Hello, Hi, everyone. Oh, hi. Thanks, Gracie. Thank you all for joining us here. Uh, congratulations on all your books. Um, 
a couple of books launched during a pandemic, which I know is a very difficult thing in a world of uh, virtual book tours and all that. But um, I have to say that we, we got connected to do this event because I read an early copy of Snacky Tunes that I got from Fiden, your publisher, and just loved it and loved it enough that my love of it was picked up by the Boston Globe, which you both saw and yes. then reached out about. Thank you. Of course. Absolutely. Well, thanks for this great book. Um, you both uh, got in touch about doing an event and we have gone uh, you know, forward here along with Brianna, who's a great friend of the store. We did the launch of um, her her last cookbook for the Portland Hunt Alpine Club um, and also have the Wonder Woman cookbook at our store, which is great. Um, and wanted to move forward on this conversation about uh, food and music. So um, if we could start off, uh, Greg and Darren, a little bit about how Snacky Tunes, not even the book yet, but the radio show and podcast came to be. Uh, I've done radio. Well, Darren was actually the first to do radio uh, when we were both at Boston University together. Um, he stopped doing it, but I continued and have done radio in some form or another for the last 20 or so years. Uh, Snacky Tunes came together um, because I was looking for a new home and we were friends with um, the people at Roberta's. Darren had come up with Dinner with the Band and we were looking for just another creative outlet that we could completely control. We met with them. Um, Roberta uh, Heritage Radio Network was originally a uh, just food policy network and we wanted to do a music show and they said, you can do a music show as long as you add food into it. And we said, okay. And we came up with the name Snacky Tunes on the spot. And that was 12 years ago. Uh, so we have, we, it was originally digital radio and then 200 episodes in, I called Darren and I said, I think we're podcasters. Uh, they had archived all the episodes and I, I was like, oh, I guess that's now we've done this. And so we're going to probably hit episode 500 sometime later this, this year. And we've been really blessed with having you know, been able to sit down with some of the top culinary names around the world while in having on some of the best up and coming musicians in uh, Los Angeles and New York. That's, that's our history. Yeah, it's been really great. Um, every time anyone says yes, it's a little bit of a surprise. And uh, this week we sat down with William Bradley, the chef 15 years and just had a great conversation and just, you know, sitting down talking with chefs and musicians and seeing their shared passions and things like that. It just, it never gets old. I mean, I'll do, we, you know, we'll hit 500 and we'll look to the next 500 and any way that we can give people space to share their stories and talk about anything they want and give them a, a unique type of space to tell that story. Really, really special to us. And, you know, born from this long running radio show, we have a book and, and how did you, make that transition? Was this something that um, the publisher and agent reached out to you about turning into a book or was it an idea that you had and took to them as a, as a more formed idea or was it something in between? Um, I was going through a strong bout of depression <laughs> uh, during the time and just like kind of was feeling a little bit lost uh, and went to go visit some friends in Mexico City who were like, you should just turn Snacky Tunes into a book. Um, and I thought, okay, why don't we just transcribe all the old episodes and then we'll just do like a, you know, quote book or something. And then we realized that it was very expensive to transcribe a lot of episodes and our interviews end up being so personal that we would be really just doing square, square peg round hole type, type of stuff. So we just started anew and focused in on the idea of just, you know, this idea that we discovered over the years of interviews that like chefs and musicians are very much the same people and that music has played a very outside influence uh, on the culinary world, but it's not really spoken about. Um, it's like here and there, yeah, there used to be musicians or there's music in the kitchen or they refer to their kitchens um, as orchestras, but it's never been something cohesive. So we decided to pull it together, um, wrote the proposal, and Emily Takutis, who's a commissioning editor at Faden, um, she was doing an event and I just got up the nerve to ask her if she would take a look at the proposal and send it to some of her friends. And she said, well, sure, but can I look at it first? Uh, and immediately got very, very nervous because <laughs> it's Faden and sent it to her and never looked back. She liked what she saw and she got us through the process and 
we're very, very happy to have a home with them. And it was, oh, sorry, go on. No, go please, on. go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, when putting together a proposal, I think it's good to have inspiration from what you've worked on. And unless you're doing something like you're a restaurant and you're pulling a greatest of hit recipe list for book number one, sometimes you got to look at what you've done and then just use that as a leaping off point. And when we realized that we couldn't go back into the archives and we were staring down the barrel of what would ultimately become 77 different entries with close to 100 chefs and restaurateurs, we're like, we just knew that we had to go back in and redo the work to get something unique and something that was focused. Um, and the way that we did it, to pull back the, the apron a little bit, was that we just put together about 15 questions for the chefs and the restaurateurs. I wouldn't, it was, it was interesting because like we were just asking the questions and sit back, which I think if we had done it maybe earlier in our career, we would have jumped in when they were giving their responses. And it took a lot of patience just to sit back and like talk about all this incredible stuff and not say anything. But, you know, it's, it's really their words in the book. We, we did some editing and we took it from questionnaire into narrative and things like that. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's, it was great, you know, faded very early on when we saw the responses back, we're like, oh, they love the idea. They're just looking about execution. And we're like, let's just play cool. And then we can figure out how to do it on the other side once we get the contract signed. Josh, I think you're on mute. Of course I am. A year into this, I haven't figured it out yet. So <laughs> apologies. Well, it's, it, it's the worst. Of, it gets the worst of all of us. <laughs> uh, so format-wise, you know, the chapters all, or the pieces all have a similar structure, although there's some differences in that each has, and you can please correct me if I'm wrong, a playlist from the chefs. Uh, a recipe from the chefs, and then also some sort of essay, whether it's questions or quotes or or any different format in terms of writing. Um, and to bring uh, Brianna into the conversation here, um, I'm kind of curious about for Hunt Alpine, um, if you were looking at a, you know, a, and Greg and Darren can help me a little bit but since they put the book together in terms of phrasing this question, but um, in terms of talking about how music plays in your kitchen and, and plays into the recipes you make, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, as far as, um, I mean, you know, again, like food and drink for me is always based on mood. And I think you know, music is music is the same thing. Um, so anytime like we're creating recipes or trying to put something together, you know, we're trying to play something to kind of match our mood of what we're doing. And I think that really lends to like helping us be more creative. But, you know, there have been so many times where we put something on and then like I've started like, like I can think because right now I'm like working on another cookbook. Like I can think about like I was making this recipe and it was supposed to be sweet. And I know that half of it is because of the playlist I was listening to. It turned into a savory recipe. Um, and which is like super cool and it's going to be delicious and great. And it's just kind of like one of those unexpected things of like music kind of opening up how you think about what else you're doing in front of you and how you think about creativity in that sense. And it's what always were you been, listen, what were you listening to that changed it from savory to sweet? Um, well, so we've spent, or we just got home a couple of weeks ago, but we spent nine weeks on the road with our six-year-old and three-year-old in a 20 foot Airstream. Brave, um, just kind of like, it was a thing. It was great. We, we all like each other still, so we're good. Um, but like, you know, camping out on BLM land, like trying to be as away from people as possible. Uh, and so we've been introducing the kids to a lot of like kind of like place music for where we were. And so we were in the Southwest and it was a lot of like John Denver, Rocky Mountain High mixed in with Old Crow Medicine Show, which I do think lends itself to savorier foods when you listen to that a lot. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah that uh we're doing a lot of cooking with poles and cast iron and dutch oven and things like that yeah so i have we actually installed a combi oven in the airstream so we could no. actually like it's it's a little dude but i mean okay. yeah, it's like a, it's like a quarter sheet pan it's a little guy okay. but like we we took out the microwave and installed that so we could actually do Smart. like some baking and you know raising doughs and stuff um but a lot of it was it was cooking outside over an open flame there's this old legendary cookbook from the 70s that is all microwave recipes is it the microwave that, cooking for one 
It, no, I don't know if it was. I mean, I'm sure there was a couple, but you know, it's like they have like lobster. They have things that are like now you go, this should never be in a microwave. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what a like steak and lobster, like heavy protein and things like that. But combi oven in the airstream is hats off. It, that's what a pro move. I, I wouldn't have made it that long. No. With just a microwave to cook with. <laughs> no. I mean, having fresh bread or fresh baked goods on the ro- road is something you can really roll with. Yeah. Literally. It's great. Um, <laughs> the microwave cookbook is great because I can picture, you know, buying books for a cookbook section in a bookstore in 50 years, whatever the equivalent of Zoom is, people are using at that point, they will be talking about the um, air fryer and uh, instant pot cookbooks about food that should never have gone in either of those devices. <laughs> yeah, instant pot's a little bit more. No, they, well, I can't tell which one's more self-aware. Instant pot really is like you can do everything here, like sh- like put shoes in your oven, you know, get rid of your stovetop, just do everything <laughs> in instant pot. It's like I don't know if I want yogurt in the same place that I, you know, I'm doing like curries and things like that. Although I guess they overlap. Um, I, I'm very curious and, you know, it's kind of rare that we have a host where we can have a, a twofer because you guys are brothers, but um, for both Greg and Darren and then for Brianna, what was the music like in the kitchen when you were growing up um, and how did that influence um, either your feeling about the kitchen or the music that you listen to now? Um, I mean, there was a lot of NPR in the mornings. I remember gro- I remember that was like when we first got up, it was NPR um and then it would switch over to you know dad would play wxpn which is 88.5 in philadelphia and that was a big mix of great music like local philly music and things like that but then also you would get your ben morrison and you would get your santana fleetwood mac you know al Jarreau, things like that it was a pretty eclectic mix um and then a lot of solo mode time for my mom our mom so it was good you know um or there'd be a Flyers game on or PGA golf. It's pretty eclectic in the kitchen. And Brianna, what sort of music was in the kitchen for you? Yeah, I mean, so I grew up, my uncle was uh, in a garage band in the Pacific Northwest in the 60s and still played music when I was a kid and had just like a basement full of instruments. And so he really influenced a lot of my music, but then also my dad really introduced me to most of the music that I ended up falling in love with, which was a lot of like the police, um, the who Creedence Clearwater, and then getting into more like the Sonics, you know, my Mm. uncle had like a great jazz collection. So I remember the first time listening to like Miles Davis kind of blue, like at their house and hearing that for the first time and being, you know, probably seven, eight and being introduced to that. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of different mixes and pretty, pretty eclectic as well until I started being able to make my own choices, which I wouldn't recommend as much anymore. Mm. Love the Sonics. Yeah. Holds up. Really holds up. Absolutely. So something that I found really fascinating about Snacky Tunes is how it is a cookbook in addition to being a, a collection of writing. And I was really curious from your editorial perspective, what was it like creating that part of the book? Did you have you made and tested and tasted all the recipes or uh, some? I mean, if I had to do it all over again, uh, I think the only restraint that I would put on it is to make sure that people at home could cook alongside to it, or say like this recipe should take as long as the playlist that you submitted. Um, it was pretty much like the the most important stuff for us in the book um was the narrative and just getting those stories everything else was just like adding layers and layers and layers so by the time we got to the recipe it was like please send whatever you would like we've you've given us so much of your time we don't want you to to do it um and we also just like needed to be unpublished and tested and (laughs) could you do that so we couldn't we didn't um we weren't able to test all of them and some of them are quite complicated uh and i would be impressed if anyone did at home but what ended up being really great is that there are a strong number of from like beginner to medium home chefs that 
you can really put on one playlist because all the playlists in the book live on Spotify. Uh, you can put on a playlist and then you're able to cook alongside it and then play another playlist when you serve it. I, I actually have a, a little bit of a different perspective because I like the range in there. Um, we didn't put any... I like the fact that we didn't really give them any more guidance other than answer these questions, give us a playlist, and then give us the recipe. And I think it really speaks to the book where if you look at the music, there's definitely some easy entry pop music that you're like, I know that song. Like Bohemian Rhapsody is in there a couple of times, right? Like if you have a cursory knowledge of music or pop culture, you know that song, right? And then there's some like super deep South American cuts. And I have almost no working knowledge of South American music. And it takes a little bit more work but it is a little bit more rewarding sometimes when you get to dig in and you're like i know that i know them as intimately as i know some of these pop songs and i feel the same way about some of those recipes that are really complicated like dominique krenz is 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 really is a lot of labor love and there's some other ones in there but it's you know it's it's some of the rewards come from digging in a bit um and because we had to make it they really could only represent themselves with one real recipe it would have been I was happy that we could just say like, pick whichever one you want and make the story and song, whatever you want. Cause I think to them, like that's, you know, it's easier to judge someone on either a playlist or a recipe versus their narrative. And so I could feel like you picked it. We didn't push into any corner. That's all you. So same, but they, I think a lot of them maybe lean more into caring more about the playlist because they rarely get to ever put out a public playlist more than the recipe. Well, I think also it is very on brand for a Fiden cookbook to have some recipes that are out of the reach of a home chef as well. So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I have quite a few. I have the Obali cookbook and the Noma cookbook, and they're great to look at. I am <laughs> not at that level, not even close. Well, like speaking of great to look at, I mean, I keep picking up the book and waving it around here, but. It really is a, a beautiful book for anyone that hasn't been able to put their hands on it yet. It's got Thank a, you. it's not quite like velour, but it's got a very pleasant kind of satin cover to it. And then the way that the text is laid out inside the book, if people can see from, from the screen there, is just really um, beautiful for, for lack of a better way to put it. And I think well, that- Well, credit, credit where credit's due. And that goes to our design partners, Omnivore. You know, we, we, del we over-delivered. So originally they had said 50 chefs and we went, came back, like I said, with 77 entries. And so when you essentially give over more than half of like what was promised, that's going to affect the design and could only really be text at that point. And they didn't pick incredible design partners and they came back more or less with that. They allowed us to have some feedback. And I know that we went back a forth a little bit, but omnivore home run. And they picked the color too, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's really striking. It was nice to be able to use pur purple markers in the window of the store when we were making the display. So. Yeah, not a lot of purple cookbooks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I think, again, from my perspective as a bookseller, we're really in kind of a, a golden age of cookbooks in the sense that cookbooks are now something that have to exist as an object on your shelf that that is appealing on its own because people can go, you know, if you want just a recipe, if you want a recipe for baking a chicken breast or something like that, you can go online and search for that. So cookbook has to exist as this discrete thing with some personality. And Brianna, I wanted to ask you about the process for, for both your cookbooks, but particularly the Hunt and Alpine cookbook, what the process was in developing that from conception into a completed product. Yeah, I mean, it was something we had actually never really thought or discussed doing. And we were approached by an editor uh, saying, we want you guys to write a cookbook about Hunt and Alpine. Um, so we took a few months and kind of did a back and forth deciding if we wanted to do a book and what it would look like and kind of what the overarching theme would be. Um, and yeah, and so after that, we just kind of went back to them and they said yes to everything we wanted and we got the photographer we wanted and it all just flowed very easily. And I don't feel like this is generally how books happen. So um, my perspective is, is 
a little different, uh, I guess, or, or off. And I mean, I know from doing this, the newest book I'm doing that this is generally not how books happen because I'm getting a lot more feedback. This time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, and, you know, it was something that, you know, we were so focused on hunt. I was, uh, pregnant with our second kid and we were opening another restaurant at the time. But I mean, I, my background's writing and I worked, you know, in advertising and have written pieces and stuff and really focused on food for years. So it was hard for me to say no to what was my dream project and something I always wanted to do, but, you know, Mm -hmm. having to put it together, I think overall it took us about two years from conception to, to printing, to have it done. So it was, it was a long process. And I think Josh, to Josh, to your point, uh, I always thought of this as like an artifact. Um, you know, one, I think to go back to your question of like, why did we do this? Uh, no one came and asked us for this. Um, we had done the podcast, which was so deeply intangible, you know, it was just something that exists on the internet. Um, and you can't touch it. And you can, as Darren said, you can cross the 300 episode, 400, 500, 600 episode mark. And then that's kind of it. And we wanted to make something that existed uh, as almost like a commemorative or alongside it, something that people could find and hold and discover, almost like a record uh, in a sense that you can have something that just sits on your dad or parent shelves or mom's shelf. And 25 years later, you go into the attic and you're like, what is this? So a lot of the design, when Omnivore came back with it, I was like, this is something that can be discovered. Um, And it doesn't necessarily need to tell you any way in you can love it for the playlist or the recipes or for the narrative but it's just something um that sits alongside it and it's not any one thing but a, a collection of of ideas and concepts mm. and i want to like i think it's a terrible question to ask like what your favorite no bad question no bad question <laughs> but rather than ask what your favorite you know, contribution was to the book. I'm curious, um, either what was the most surprising one in terms of the narrative answer, or what was the most surprising chef music matchup that felt like a a mismatch or just a surprise? Darren, Ben, should we tell the Ben story? I mean, but Ben, I mean, surprising is such like, when you read the recipes, and you look at the playlist and then you read their narrative, nothing surprising, right? Like you really get to know, I mean, how much, how much more do you need to know about a person is like, give me five of your favorite songs, give me a dish you like to make and give me two stories from your life. And it's, you know, with social media today and the way that you get to peek into people's lives, especially chefs, right? Or people who are, 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 prolific on social media like oh i sort of know you right and so it's very weird to get all these back because you know greg and i split the the interviews uh and the players and everything and even the people who i didn't talk to or originally do i was like i sort of know you like it's gonna be weird when i meet you for the first time because it's a mix of some of our friends right people we've known forever some people who were past guests of the show and then just some cold emails right just some like Hey, we're doing this project. You don't know us, but we know you like music and, you know, do you want to do this? And like those people who have never met in person and never really talked multiple times, I feel like I know them. So the pairings weren't really, really that up. I mean, I love someone like, like Mae Chow's journey in her life is really seen in her, in her playlist. Like you get to see all of like what she discovered and and living in Hong Kong and, and living in Boston and all this stuff. And, um i'm like oh like your your life narrative is is the cadence of your playlist so like that was really surprising and really great to see how intimate and 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 open that people shared with us i think the other thing too that i found is that um now that now that it's been out there for a number of months um people have found avatars for themselves so there's some chefs whose stories i just I think are super interesting and I just don't connect with at all. It's like, Oh, that's, that's, I appreciate that, but that's not for me. But there's some people like you're me, you're me, your songs are me, your experiences are me, the way you see the world, like that's me. So there are some, when you say favorite, I think what we've found a better way to say it, and it's not a bad question because everyone has asked us that is what we found is that different chefs speak to different people 
Um, and so I tend to find like who spoke to whom, and it's always a, a different answer. Uh, it's always a different answer depending on where they are in their mindset um, when they're picking up the book to read. Yeah, actually, if I could, I'll, I'll piggyback on that because, you know, the music scene, the food scene, uh, especially because we're a little bit older. I mean, I don't know how it is when you're a teenager now or when you're getting into any sort of scene it can be sort of rough at times to get in or exclusive. Um, I mean, I think there's been, especially in the last year or so in the food scene has taken a really hard look at it. The music scene, yes, but I, I wish there was more. Um, but I think if you're into either one of these artistic pursuits of food and music, you can find commonplace and connection in this book. And that was really the theme we found throughout was the connectivity of, of people. And so, you know, maybe you're in a smaller town, maybe you feel like, you, you know, you're not in sync with maybe what the rest of everyone else into and you read a book or you hear a playlist or you see a story from this book and you're like, all right, there's a larger world out there. I mean, that was food, that was food and music for us. Music first, I would say you know, going to basement shows and then seeing bands that were like on the road who were just like us from other towns. I was like, you can follow these pursuits and, and see a bigger world. And we hope that people see that in this book. This episode is brought to you by Hot Dish Productions, an award-winning modern culinary production company specializing in creative digital video, photography, and podcast production. From concept through post-production, Hot Dish creates and produces compelling food stories that ignite the chef in all. Hot Dish Productions has deep connections to award-winning and celebrity chefs and over 20 years' experience. Their team has won both a James Beard Award and an IACP Award for their work in food media. Hot Dish Productions delivers the highest quality product at a fair value. Let them help tell your culinary story today. Explore their work and learn more at hotdishproductions.com. So I, I have a question that anyone might have an answer to, or it may be unanswerable. It More in the respect of talking with bands uh, rather than talking with chefs, which is how do bands know the best restaurant to go to when they go into a town? Because <laughs> it's something I've never figured out. And it seems like bands always seem to know where to go when they, they're on tour and they go into a town. Well, there's a network. I mean, I think it used to be harder, right? Like, I, I think it used to be pre-internet. People just knew. I mean, there was less options, but people were just like, oh, if you're in this town, you tried this and that. I mean, now, if with a little bit of research and a little bit of elbow grease, you can find a good meal. But because I think food has become such a mainstream part and such like a, a, a important part of living that the people who are booking, like the people who are running the shows have a list of, of different type of restaurants. Um, in the same way that if anyone ever came to town, whoever it is to LA, I'd be like, you tell me the cuisine, you tell me what part of town and we'll, we'll go knock it out. Uh, one of our, actually our guests on the podcast, Adam Schatz of Landlady made a website. It's tourfood.us that if you are a driving band in the U.S., you can go from point A to point B and it will guide you to different restaurants. Uh, it was supposed to launch during the pandemic. Uh, obviously, it didn't. But it's a spreadsheet that he and his friend started in 2012. So now there's just resources for, for driving bands. Um, I can put that in the chat, too. And I, I think also um, one of the insights from Adam's interview was that there's two things that bands get to do on, on a show day, play a show, which is like an hour yep. and they yeah. get to eat and eating is usually more time and more significant than like a show. And, you know, depending where it is or something new, you know, you're going to play the same set. So eating has become this like very big decision um, besides like driving and, and getting somewhere. And Brianna, I'm, 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 I know the combi oven was in there. But were there any detours that you made on your road trip for specific food places that was maybe like an extra three hours, but like, like we just might as well drive there? Um, not like extra out of the way, but like we planned our trip definitely around places we wanted to eat as well mm -hmm. and get and get food to go. And so 
you know, it was definitely, I mean, and it being January, it was definitely a mad scramble to see if places were still open and doing to go food, but yeah. We, you know, we, we stayed a couple days just outside Santa Fe so we could get like the enchiladas that we wanted to eat that sure. we haven't had in 10 years. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I definitely have driven four or five hours out of the way before three children to go eat a meal somewhere. Yes. <laughs> I mean, my, our, 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 my daughter's godmother just drove across the country and she hit this vegetarian Indian food place in Oklahoma city at a truck stop. And I'm just like, I'll bank it you know, whatever, who knows when, right. But you just, you, everyone just keeps a running list now. Right. I mean, you should see, Star, no, just, you gotta, I, you gotta put stars on your map. So if you read an article about a place, you yeah. star your Google map. Yeah. You just gotta put stars and just like, I mean, I have Google spreadsheets for places I've been and then a working knowledge of maybe a dozen cities that I haven't been. And cause other people travel and just like, if you're just into just knowing where to eat, like, even when you're on the road, like it, it's, it's really tough to know that you've had a bad meal when there are great meals out there. And I think that that drives a lot of people. Like, it's like, mm, like, did we get the right one spot? You know? And if you have that itch and if you have that in the back of your mind, you will get one or two less hours of sleep the night before you drive to a place to find that, that right, like sandwich or taco or Thai takeout or pho like enchiladas you just it haunts you like it's haunting i don't know how to describe it like it just burns me up i was like did we get the best possible all right all right (laughs) anyway but that is what i think a lot of people you know look when you're in a band and there's like four members there's always going to be that one girl or guy who feels that same way and like one person's in charge of tunes one person's in charge of directions and one person's in charge of food right and just trust the person who's in charge of food Well, talking about the best food, I think, is a great transition into talking about our fair city of Portland here. Um, you were all kind enough to uh, create a list of local beers paired with songs, mm. which we have included in all the, the literature around the event. I'm drinking the Rising Tide Waypoint, which you paired with Cigarettes and Coffee by Otis Redding, right. and we at Print paired with Black Buck by Matteo Ascapor, uh, which is a great new novel. Um, but yeah, what is your relationship with the food in Portland? Do you have favorite restaurants? Have you been here to our fine city? Have you been to Hunt and Alpine? Uh, I have been through uh, Portland uh, on the way um, to like a no-name place. My wife and I did our baby our baby moon. So we stopped. We got a uh, lobster on the way from a place that I regrettably did not do proper research on. But where we ended up, I know we were like, you know, we were. When you told like, me when you told me I went. Mm, he'll he'll figure on. it out later. Hold on. He'll figure it out. Hold on. And Brianna. My five-month pregnant wife was in the car, and we just needed to get going. So we overshot Portland. Um, we did end up getting a lobster roll at Reds, which I do say is like worth the drive, and it was good. At, but what our what our fortunate was, and what I found that your incredible state has, is we were driving near our bed and breakfast, and just saw a chalkboard sign that just said "lobsters, cherry stones," and like turn right. And so we drove to a dead end of a street and there was a shack called Allen's third generation that was just selling lobsters and cherry stones by the, by the basket. So we ended up just cooking lobster every single night uh, and getting wine from a local shop and like being like, we're coming back to Maine every single summer because it was just phenomenal. So we had one lobster roll, but the rest of it we just cooked yourself because the produce and the lobster and the cherry stones were just so good that we felt that it would be a disservice to not try to figure out we could do trial and error on the cooking uh was because like you know we can't do that here so that's like my my love affair with maine just like the bountifulness of being able to have food there like would otherwise be like cost prohibitive or just the quality would just be terrible um we were in maine years ago for a wedding and we had an incredible lunch at Long Grain, which um, absolutely loved. You know, fresh ingredients, just incredible food, great just local beers. 
And I always, I don't know, that that meal that, that afternoon always reminds me of like the best, that Maine and sunshine and all that. And I've also, I was up in Bar Harbor and had a couple of delicious lobster rolls up there as well. Um, a little bit about the beer and the playlist. So uh, when we were picking the songs, we we wanted like sort of some classic tunes, which is pretty much what we went with just to sort of like you put those songs on a playlist and just sit back on an afternoon and just crush some beers with some friends, which I think was the vibe that we're all hoping for midsummer this year. Um, and so just like a good time, right? Like something classic, something fun, something that just, we tried to get a little cutesy and thematic with each of the beers uh, and each of the songs. So either in the title or the content of the song, matches the name or the ingredients of the beer so a little twee but nothing wrong with that um and brianna i'd love to hear both about some portland favorite you know main food but also for people that don't um that don't know a little bit about both hunt and alpine and uh verna's all day which as someone that goes through waterville regularly i'm very excited about yeah i mean easy main food to love is the lobster. And I always recommend to people, if you have access to just buy fresh lobster and cook it yourself, I feel like that's the truest main experience. And that's what I love. And when friends come from visit and visit from out of town, um, you know, I'm always like, look how cheap the lobster is. And we make too much, too much lobster. Um, yeah, one of my, one of my best friends used to live in LA and she was like, we bought like seven or eight for like the three of us to eat. And she was like, how much was this? Can I help? And I was like, no, it's like 80 bucks. We're good. Where like one would be that much for her, Um, you know? And so, so that and oysters and like getting a little kit and shucking your own oysters or going to one of the oyster farms and just having them like right out of the water, I think is perfect. But I also, if we're going to talk about Maine, we have to talk about Alan's coffee brandy. And I think it is, um, that it's made in Massachusetts, but has been for many, many years, one of the most, it's a coffee flavored liqueur. Um, Mm. And Josh, you've probably had it more than me, I might guess, only because I've only ever had it once. It's been (laughs) definitely, absolutely, I've had it. (laughs) Um, It is called the Champagne of Maine. You could have added some digits to that number and I still would have had it more than you. Um, It's called the Champagne of Maine. It's like 11 bucks for a full handle of it. Um, it is, or has been up until Fireball just recently beat it out as the top selling, uh, spirit in Maine. And it carries many it, in the top 10, it has many places in there because of the variety of UPC symbols. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that's, I think is a, is a Maine classic. And one, if you're coming to visit Maine, I always again? recommend it's called Allen's coffee brandy and I'm actually totally at, getting that at Hutton Alpine. It might be hard to find in Louisiana. Um, we'll, so. we'll order it over state lines. Our grandmother, <laughs> our grandmother makes a Hungarian chocolate cake that has chocolate liqueur in it. And it's all, and like, it's always been the most generic kind of like, you know, it's fine. This sounds like the perfect replacement for it. So <laughs> I'm like very, very, I've been on like a hunt for like something better. So like this sounds like fits very much into our family web. It'll hit you. I mean, this is like one of those things that I like lobstermen would go out in the morning and with their coffee, do a a hefty splash of Allen's. Um, We actually use it in our espresso martini at Hutton Alpine. That's Andrew, my husband created. Allen's coffee ready. Will you put uh, in the the chat? Yeah, I can. I can. I'll I'll put the recipe in there for you guys. Um, Oh, yeah. Amazing. But but yeah, when I... In the, in that thing of cost, I remember the first time that I ever had a cherry stone was at a seafood place in New York, and it was $4 for one. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is amazing. I, like, this is incredible. And when I was in Maine, I got a pound for $4. Yeah. And I was like, I will never forget that ratio. I feel I feel both taken and, like, valued at the same time, knowing <laughs> that it's like a, a one pound to one cherry stone from the main yeah but it's a, it's, it's the transportation right it's just like it's yeah. getting it from you it's getting yeah, like yeah if you get to go to an oyster farm and never you know cross up that, that check off your bucket list getting that fresh oyster and keeping it fresh from you to new york or anywhere is like a lot of money a lot of gas so 
Yeah, do you have, uh, Brianna, do you, do you have a favorite song to shuck oysters to? What's your oyster shucking playlist like? Oh, it would probably be something Bill Withers, like when mm. I'm kissing my love or something. Cause I feel like there's just like a really nice beat to it. So it'll kind of get yeah. you in the, cause like, especially if you're shucking a lot of oysters, you want to have like a little bit of flow to it. So you don't, you know, stab your own hand or, you know, yeah. mess up the you oysters catch that too rhythm. much. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's the first thing that came to my head. So that's, that's what I picked. Although yeah, like, and I, I've seen professional main oyster shuckers and they move really quickly. Oh yeah. That's I, but they I, also I have the chain metal, they have the chain metal glove on. Yeah. They're going at as a different you, speed. Yeah, they're listening to Black Flag, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the rhythm you want when you're spearing an oyster, right? <laughs> just some four to the floor blast beat drums. Just <laughs> ripping. Like the the joy of learning the difference between a oyster and a clam knife when I was up there as well, which is like a, a difference that I um, tried to like, I was like, what's the difference? And then when I ate no um, cherry stones on that first night and went out and bought an oyster knife on the second, or a, a clam knife on the second night, second night, I was like, oh, that's the difference. Got it. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm just taking a look at the time now and seeing that we are getting close enough to the, the end that I want to make sure we don't skip out on the audience mm. questions. Um, so one uh, for starters here is what are some of your favorite other culinary related media, be it food, be it uh, podcasts or TV or books? Well, I'm well, going to shout out Darren yeah. because Darren works at Tastemade and is a phenomenal director. And so I'd say that anything that Darren puts his hands on is really worthwhile watching. And I'm completely biased uh, and, and it is completely uh, you know, fully vetted. <laughs> I will, uh, I will thank you for the compliment and I'll pay it forward to any podcast on Heritage Radio Network, which has been our home for 12 years. Um, we've, we've just met so many incredible like-minded people. I mean, one of our good time friends and, and she does a show all about cookbooks, Kathy Airway, just longtime friend. And she does such a great show. Um, and then Carrie Diamond, shout out to Carrie Diamond who runs uh, Cherry Bomb, who we absolutely love and met when she was still in her coach days and she would book us to DJ at store events up on 57th, which was... She does not want any of that history out there, I promise. Oh, well, it's out there. And anyway, but we met her and she's great. So a lot of people like that. I mean, I, I, I do a lot of hunting for like some really weird stuff. And so there's always like Vimeo actually, I would say probably has the best like obscure weird food art stuff. Um, more so than YouTube. So if you ever want to go down rabbit holes, just just hit me up. But, you know, we it's there's a lot of great stuff out there. I'll also um, second both Tastemade and Heritage Radio Network um, are both two two outlets I have been fans of for many years and have friends working um, at Heritage who have done stuff some really cool stuff there. Uh, also, I think there's a lot of great food writers doing Substacks right now. I have like way Agreed. too many that come into my inbox that I want to spend more time with, but it's like a really great way and that you can like support writers directly, which is really nice. Um, and I just started wa watching Waffles and Moki on Netflix, which is- Thanks, it's Michelle. Actually, it's really incredible. It's really um, good. And I mean, even if you don't have kids, I think you could totally watch it, but I have a three and a six-year-old. So it's something nice that we can all watch together and I'm not wanting to poke my eyes out. So- that's always a win Actually, for me. And can we just do a general shout out to anyone who has still managed to hang on being a food writer in the last year? I think, a, <laughs> you know, like we focus a lot on the restaurants and everything that got crushed. But, you know, all the writers who were doing coverage or out there and things like that, who were able to keep it up either through their jobs or through independent work now, because some of the like the going out of anything has folded. And it's continued to like shine a spotlight on the emerging businesses or the business they're hanging on. I just, it's like, it's a grind at another level, but we would have, we'd be very lost without them. A hundred percent. The best American food writing that came out this year from Mariner. Um, <sighs> all of the content was set, but not the introduction before COVID hit. So, so it's a very interesting time capsule because the content does not really reckon with Oh, the pandemic, but the introduction it was written, I think, a couple months into it happening, so or into it starting. So it's a very 
interesting time capsule but yeah like good food writing is is hard to beat um and yeah hopefully a lot of these these writers are able to make it through in publications as well you bring up an interesting point because we were wrapping the book at the beginning of the pandemic right greg like march i think it was or april yeah we were doing the final edits in april in april and so we had a and you know, we, we had a pretty good idea of where this was going with the industry and like how this was not, you know, anyone who has been part of the food industry, the previous up until March of last year, it was an insane golden age. And we make a joke about like how you know where to eat in town and drop into a town. Well, it's sort of hard pressed to go into any town now and not find a good meal. Right. And like, you know, that wasn't always a given. And so in many ways, this book is a love letter and a bit of a timestamp and a dedication to like what those last 10 to 15, 20 years of restaurants were, which is you walk in and there's a vibe and there's music and there's dishes and there's conversation and stories, which feels like, you know, like a fantasy now uh, in some ways or, or something from yesteryear. But we hope that people see the book and see the stories and be like, this is a roadmap to a and a, a guide to, you know, what was maybe sometimes we, you know, we'd be at a meal and you'd roll your eyes like oh, another course or another thing or something like that. I would, I'll never roll my eyes again being out to eat, you know, put on another song, bring out another dish, have another glass. Like, so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of yearning now when I sometimes I read different sections of the book. They're like, oh, yeah, I missed that. Um, and, and another audience question here, the, there's a slightly longer one, so my apologies, I'm going to try to, to get the gist of it here, um, is that, you know, musical scenes and culinary scenes can have hostile exclusionary elements under the guise of having to pay your dues or, or something like that and have larger than life uh, celebrities and, and personalities. Um, in producing your show, is that something that you've had to deal with either as as fans or as professionals? And has it altered the way that you interact with bands or with chefs? Oh, um, very simply put, we only tried to work with, we're, we're not like a gotcha podcast, like we're not trying to get anyone. So if we didn't like them or like it was going to go down a dark path, we just wouldn't book them. We just want to, there's a lot of amazing people doing incredible work that normally don't get a light shine on them or that very, very little. So we would just rather just put people on that we knew were good people. I mean, obviously some people, I'd have to go back and look through the 475 episodes and I'm sure some of the people have probably not fed it out well. Um, And I definitely know a project that we did that we went back and edited out um, some people who were uh, not good in the light of the day if you will. But in general, Darren and I have tried just to work with good people. And if we didn't like them, we just wouldn't have them on. So we could just have like very happy, engaging um, conversations. Um, But I I think I can put it on less than after 12 years, less than two hands of situations like in the moment we we were like, wow, those people were like not great. And we could still tell those stories years later because no one came and replaced how bad they were just based on our booking. I think I could think of one food guest and one band and greg i wonder if you can read my mind afterwards um and we did have to sunset archive a couple of the episodes especially some stuff that came out both post me too post george floyd like you know i mean look you you have that many guests on not everyone's gonna look great um but we don't cheat like we've been lucky enough to have some really big guests on like i'm not gonna lie like we've had some of the the biggest chefs in the world on and that's just come from, you know, just being around and always showing up and doing the work and, and being part of the cycle. But we haven't, we haven't chased a lot of people. And I think that, that that comes through where it's like, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. When we sat down with Massimo for the first time, we were both like, I can't believe this is happening. And it's awesome. But it wasn't like we ever sat, we set out to sit down with Massimo from day one. And I think that, that that's a difference. And so when it happens, you know, it's, I mean, Greg and I have got, I mean, I got to sit down with Wolfgang Puck right after he did his Oscar preview for one of the food things. And I was like, I can't believe I'm here talking with him. 
And uh, if you thought I'm name dropping now, listen to that interview because it is the most amazing like name dropping story of like the 70s and 80s. But it just it happens, you know, and Kong has been a really great producer as well. Um, but I think we do it for the right reasons because we love we love what these people are about. And we're just honored to like share some space with them. Well, I think that is a, a great note to start wrapping up on here. And also just like kudos, it is astounding. 11 years now, more than 11 years of, of doing this show. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wasn't sure when in 2009, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. It's astounding. And it's an incredible catalog for anyone that wants to go back and listen um, as a companion to again, We're all there. Here, this spectacular book. Um, I think of a final question, which is a straightforward one for everyone, and we can go in whatever order, is uh, what's the last thing you cooked and what were you listening to when you cooked it? Darren, you want to go first? Yeah, there, uh, there's this famous place in, near where we live called Roma Market, which got a big push over the summer because they make this thing called the sandwich. It's like this 70-year-old guy who does this one Italian sandwich. You just say, I want the sandwich. And they have a great frozen section of homemade uh, tortellini and sauce. And so I was cooking that up and listening to an old bolt, uh, Otis Redding. It was like the story of Otis Redding. And it's just it's banger after banger after banger of Otis Redding songs. That was Sunday. That was Sunday night. That was last night. Well, man, we are twins because I also listened to that Otis Redding thing. Not the last thing I listened to, but it's the XY podcast from Spotify that uh, Leslie Autumn Jr. does of his deep dive into uh, Otis Redding and Sam Cooke, which is amazing. Um, the last thing that I cooked is I got my hands on the good book of Southern Baking, which is by Kelly Fields, uh, who's Willa Jean, uh, owns Willa Jean's in New Orleans and has this phenomenal i've been doing trading between her cornbread and her chocolate chip cookie which is just dangerous to have in the house uh and i always listen to something like max richter or philip glass when i'm baking uh just because it's really meditative and i'm i'm an i'm a very confident cook and a very nervous baker uh so i need something very relaxing on to make sure that like i'm like measuring correctly and not mixing the step but those two combined um is makes me very happy and a spectacular cookbook it came out the end of last year right the I, good book of southern yeah literally worth every penny her recipes are flawless flawless i was like there's no way this is going to work i don't understand these steps things are like put in the fridge for 24 hours etc like it's just great it's just great Brianna? Yeah, so I had two writing deadlines this morning. So I decided to make everything bagel bombs for the first time and with my own recipe. So uh, I spent all morning doing that today and listening to, it was a playlist that was a mix of the magnetic fields and the Ramones. Um, awesome. So and the bagel bombs were just okay. I got to work on them more. <laughs> the, the, the differential cadence and tempo of those two bands really just going back and forth i, I like baking in a little bit of chaos so yeah it's uh, it's good yeah favorite ramon song <laughs> uh i want to be your boyfriend it's just such a good love song yeah so simple I love the, yeah i like i just want to walk around with you their love songs are the best yeah they are they're really good they're just like yeah like let's just hang out let's let's just be together yeah. Havana Fair. There we go. Another great one. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Gracie. Summertime, yeah, summertime also, is always Also, like, can we just say thank you to Gracie for yes, organizing you, Gracie. this yes. and putting us all together. <laughs> and thank, thank you, you so to all much. the breweries. Um, if any of you breweries want to send some beer to California, you just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, well. And thank you, Josh. Great moderating. Thank you so oh, much. Dev, thank you so much for doing this. It was such a you know, again, this was such a treat for me, having enjoyed the book so much. And again, um, Brianna, knowing knowing you and, and the relationship you have with us in the store, uh, this was just a dream come true. So um, thank you all for doing this. The book, again, is 
uh, snacky tunes, which we have linked to both in the chat here and on our website and through a QR code in the window at the store. So there's no excuse for you not to pick up the book. Um, and the Hunt and Alpine cookbook and the Wonder Woman official cookbook, are those titles correct, Brianna? Or Northern Hospitality, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. Fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, and thank you to the audience for coming. Um, and, and everyone have a great night. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you for having guys. us. Bye. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.